0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. So excited to be worshiping with you. I hope that you're already feeling the Spirit of God in this place. I pray. I've been praying this week that this message would uh, would find you and find you uh encouraged but also um, challenged because I, I feel like we're in a constant state of growth uh, that's just that's who we are as believers I think until the Lord comes again is uh, we've got a long ways to go to look more like Jesus uh, maybe some of us have a little farther to go I don't know, but I, I feel like I got a long ways and so uh, as Paul once said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm praying that that's the kind of believers we're, we are in this church. And this series, as we're going through it, we just started it last week. If you missed it, you can get caught up. You can hop online and watch Belong. Number one, where we talked about the idea of being confident in your faith and having assurance of salvation really was what that was about. But today I want to talk about this idea I think that everybody's looking for. The, the thing that we really desire in this life is to find true family. Uh, To find a relationship that really, really goes, stands the test of time, that really stands up, in fact, eternally. And there's this interesting thing that we have uh, in Christianity, and that is the family of God, this thing that's eternal that starts even now. And most of you have been experiencing for many years this this thing that this wild thing we do sometimes, where we take care of one another better than we would our very own blood family. This this is the family of God, and what we're encouraged to do this morning. So I want to talk, tell, talk to you this morning about this idea of being accepted. What does it mean to be accepted into the family of God? What does it look like to be a part of something? And in Christ Jesus, you already are. So. There's another question that we're really going to answer in the midst of this because there's always something that ends up putting a strain on a relationship, right? I'm I'm almost guaranteeing every relationship you've ever had in life has had a a tension point at some some point. Uh, Whether it's a parent-child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a boyfriend-girlfriend, there's always some kind of tension moment, a conflict of sorts. And there's always this question of like, where do we go from here? Like, I can remember the first big fight I had as a married man. It was like a month in, and looking back, it was so small. But like, I, I bought something, and we didn't have any money. And it was really dumb, right? It was, a really, it was a small thing I bought, and what's worse, it was like a video game, y'all. I was just like, I was bored, we're both in college, and I'm like, man could really use a new, a new game, and she thought, I called her up, and I was like, how much money do we have right now? Because things have shifted over time, I'm more of the budget guy now, but at that time, I was a quite, quite a fool, but uh, I called her up, like, how much do we have? And I'm thinking, I'm calculating, all right, that's enough, <laughs> that's enough to buy this. She's thinking, I called her and, and was like, you know, clearly he's going to know, don't buy stuff, but uh, anyway, that was a wonderful fight. In fact, it ended with me so confused that I said, do I need to call your mother? Because I couldn't figure out how to solve the problem. Um, We're still married, y'all. 17 years just a couple weeks ago. I don't say really stupid stuff like that. I say new stupid stuff. So um, I'm growing. I'm trying to look more like Christ all the time. But there's always these tension points, and it happens. Guess what? It happens in your faith, it happens in your walk with Christ. If you've come to faith in Jesus, a big question arises, and it doesn't take long where you go, okay, so now what do I do when I mess up? I've come to faith, and maybe you had this notion in your head that when you came to Jesus, you'd be done with sin, like perfectly done with sin, and that would be great. That time is coming. That's what heaven is. We're not quite there yet, and so we still wrestle with our own brokenness, our flesh, the desires of our own hearts that aren't always so good. We, we wrestle with the temptations of our culture, the temptations of our world, and we wrestle against principalities that are evil and are often unseen. And so what do we do then? What's our response when we mess up? It might really shipwreck you if you've come to faith and maybe you continue to struggle in some temptation and you can't seem to overcome it. And you might begin to ask yourself, am I still welcome? Can I still come before a holy God? And the answer that, I don't... I'll explain more, but the answer is absolutely yes. Because I know this much, the blood of Christ has paid for your sins, past, present, future. It's more than enough. However, there is this thing called holiness that we've been called to. And so we're going to try to blend these two notions together today to try to understand what it really means to imitate Jesus and to be a part of God's family. And so be asking yourself this question right now. Are you still struggling with your own personal guilt Shame. Do you feel a constant sense of distance from God or from others? Like there's something holding, there's something in between you. We just sang the song about a deep chasm between us. In Christ Jesus, that chasm has been filled. We, did, we, we have crossed that, that deep ravine, if you were. But sometimes in our hearts we feel distant, and it's often because of our brokenness. Do you know these sins These things you struggle with, they've been paid for. So what do you do with them now? Well, here's where we're going to be today. And this is one of those really famous passages. We're in the book of 1 John chapter 1. And I often take people here, if they're having doubts, 1 John 1.9 is like a go-to for me. If you're struggling with what to do with your own hurt, your own pain, and whether or not you're broken apart from God. And the good news today is Christ Jesus is more than enough. And so as we dig into this text, we're going to see here the Apostle John teaching the believers here that they can experience God's forgiveness and His acceptance. Not just for Him, but also this sense that together they can have fellowship with one another as a people who have been forgiven. And we can learn how to do this too. I think we're going to see three clear steps as we dig in on how to experience God's forgiveness, how to really know God's acceptance as a people. And so let's dig into the text. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 through chapter 2 verse 2. It says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from Him, and we proclaim it to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen to that. If we say we have not sinned, however, we make Him a liar. And, he, and His Word is not in us. So, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God bless the reading of His Word. Wow. What a wonderful text, and there's so much to unpack here. I could have gone a lot of different ways at this, but I'm digging in on this idea that we can really truly know fellowship. We can really truly know God's acceptance and be in this family of God. And so here's the first thing that I think is very clear in what the Apostle John is writing, that we need to understand how sin affects our fellowship. How sin affects our fellowship. You could argue that this text is very much about this word fellowship. It's in there several times. Some of you are familiar with this, but the word there is koinonia. It's this idea of of a fellowship in which people share things in common. Um, There's a lot of groups that you find yourself involved in, but the Christian fellowship is meant to be so much more. When you look at the uh, book of Acts chapter 2, you see these people. It literally says they were selling all the things they had in order to provide for one another, and no one was in need. There's this magnificent thing occurring in the first century where a lot of people were in poverty, and yet in the church, they were experiencing wholeness. They were experiencing provision. And God was providing it through His people to one another this is the thing he's still calling us to. This hasn't changed just because we're in America and perhaps a lot, a lot of us are much more privileged than these would have experienced in the sense of economy. But I would argue maybe we're way less privileged in the sense of what it means to be God's family. Because with great need came a, a really great opportunity for the people to connect. And so this is what's occurring here then and what he's calling us to now, this kind of fellowship where people share all things in common. That is their faith. Their life, it's more than Sunday mornings. It's more even small groups won't solve this. We pitch this all the time here. Life on life discipleship. This is, this is one-on-one. These are my buddies. These are my friends. I spend my life with these kinds of people. And when I have a problem, I know who to call. I call one of those people that's sitting near me in this church. Maybe several of them. That's God's family. I know who I can count on. It says several times here, Fellowship. Then it goes on and he paints this picture of, of these several, there's five of them in fact. There's a sixth at the end, but there's five if-then statements right here in the middle. And this, this idea he's painting that God is all light. Now that's a weird thing to say. God is light. But to understand here, this is this biblical kind of terminology that has showed up really all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. That the absence of God is the absence of anything created. The absence of God is the absence of anything that can be known or anything that exists. And so the idea that God is light is that He's the one who has revealed knowledge, truth. The very ability to see and hear and know one another is God. God is light. And in Him is what? no darkness. This is the idea of there's there's nothing in God that is false. There's there's nothing in Him that's wicked. You know, there's not a lot of battles that I'd will, I'm i willing to fight people on. You know, if you go on social media right now, you could pick any kind of battle and fight a battle. You know, y'all know this. There's any any long list of things that you could disagree with people on. But I will often stand up for God. <laughs> I will often do that when I hear people say, you know, God, clearly God creates evil or God does evil things. I'm like, not the God of my Bible. I don't know who you're talking about, but that's not the God I worship. My God, it says, is love, is light, is pure, is holy. This is the God I serve and His Son, Jesus Christ, is all of that. He is sinless. He He died for me. All of those things are important. So this, this thing that God is light is in juxtaposition to the fact that I am... <laughs> often walking in darkness, right? That's the, that's the if-then that he's starting to pose. And he's making it clear that we shouldn't say a couple things that are kind of foolish. And maybe you don't say them out loud because you're at least going that far, but maybe you think them sometimes that like, okay, this particular area of my life that I've been struggling in for a long time, maybe, maybe this is just who I am. And we start to tell that lie. And we say, you know, I've always been angry. My dad was angry. My granddad was angry. Maybe we're just an angry people. And so often my kids will see my anger and aggression. And that's, maybe that's not really a sin. It's just my nature. And yet your sin often comes out as something rageful and wrathful, and scary. So we make excuses or you know, I can't help that I'm always tempted by this thing, alcoholism or, or sexuality or whatever. You fill that thing in that that's just, maybe that's just in my nature. And so we start to say, well, that's who I am. And we believe what the Bible says here in verse 5 and 6 that we start to live out a lie and there's, we're not walking in truth. This is, the sense here is that we would begin to tell ourselves some falsehoods. The word underneath this is, is pseudo, which we understand this. This is like a, a phony, a fake That as as a believer, this is something we should be very careful to to resist. That we wouldn't begin to believe in ourselves and start to tell this kind of lie. Because what what it does is affects our fellowship with God. Now I want to paint something very clear. What we talked about last week almost seems in complete opposition to what we're talking about this week. But it's not and here's why. Last week we were talking about the sense that in Christ Jesus, we have a relationship with God. Because of salvation, we are now sons and daughters of the King. Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we know that we know that we know that we've been saved. And we are His. So when we mess up, when we make mistakes, are we no longer His? Absolutely not. So I'm talking about two very different things. When I'm talking about fellowship, I'm not talking about relationship. Your relationship as a son or daughter of King Jesus is unchanged by your sin. However, your fellowship is broken. It's the same in my own household, and here's what I mean. I have four kids. You know what they do? They mess stuff up all the time. All the time. And they know, I'm not just talking about an impulsive, they made a mistake. I'm talking about a willful disobedience. They've heard mom and dad say, do not do that. And they do it anyways because it's fun in their heads or whatever. I have told my kids, and this might seem petty to you, but it's starting to unnerve me. I have told them every day, 13 years now, well, maybe not because baby Nate wasn't doing this. But by the time he was moving, these four kids have been throwing all of my blankets and pillows in the floor in my living room every day. I know that sounds petty, but I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I've told them it's got to be in the millions at this point. So, that's one of a long list of things that's to me that's willful disobedience. Now, no one gets you know no one gets capital punishment or anything for that you know. But I come in every day and I'm fussing, and I'm upset because this isn't. And here's here's the line: this isn't your room. Just so you know, this is my room. This is your mother's room and she doesn't want it like this either. We have all these bedrooms in this house. The Lord blessed us with a really big house so that you goobers could all have your own rooms. Trash those. And once a week, you got to clean that too. But during the other times, you do what you want in there. Just shut your door so I don't have to see it. Right? But there's a long list. That's, that's a funny one. But there's a long list. And you have, if you have children, you know they willfully disobey. Does that make them not my kids? When they willfully disobey me, are they no longer my son or daughter? Absolutely not. They will always be my son or daughter. The same is true in Christ Jesus. Because of His payment and my faith in Him, my relationship as His son goes unchanged. However, when my kids are disobedient to me, we're frustrated. I'm upset with them. And they're in a position of guilt or shame even. So something has to change or we remain in broken fellowship. And so often because I'm an adult and they're not, often I have to come the distance and restore the fellowship. And I'll have you know this, God is doing that too. God has come quite a distance. You know what He does for me? This thing that some of you dislike, but I love it. It's called conviction. This thing where the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says, He convicts the heart. Why does He do it? Because He wants me to feel bad? Absolutely not. He does it because He wants me to come back. He's he's wanting me to long, like the prodigal son, to come back to the Father where things are better and I don't have to eat pig slop anymore. I can come back and be restored as a son. I never stopped being that son, but I have in my disobedience broken our fellowship. And that's what He longs for. So let me not make this statement and say, oh, well, what I'm doing over here is fine. This is who I am. I can walk this path. No, John says, you're walking out a lie, my friend. The truth's not in you. Instead, come back to the truth. So that what? In verse 7 it says, so you can be cleansed. This word "katharizo" it's where we get this idea of catharsis. It's this idea that you would receive relief, that you almost purge the pain out. This is what God does when we come to Him. With our brokenness, He purifies the heart. He cleanses it. This is that big difference between relationship and fellowship. And i got to tell you, church, I want to be in right fellowship too. It's not enough for me to simply be a son because God just has so much more. He's designed me uniquely. He knows, he knows what He wants for me better than anyone else, certainly better than myself. I want to know Him beyond measure. And I wonder, church, I'm just not sure we're going to fully grasp what it means to be believers in Christ until we want to really know Jesus. I mean, until we really want to walk with Him in a way that goes priority-wise above everything else. It doesn't mean you start to say all this other stuff doesn't matter. It matters. Being a husband, being a wife, it matters. Being a parent, it matters. Working, it matters. Having a good career, it all matters. But priority-wise, I want to know Christ and I want to be like Him. And I'm going to do a whole lot better at all those other priorities if I'll do that one. And yet I struggle with that so much. And I know you do too, friend. It's not my goal to belittle you, but rather to encourage you that we're in this walk together and that we can be more and more like Christ every day. John chapter 1, it says, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. This is where we are. And we can have right fellowship. Yet unconfessed sin hinders that. This is what the psalmist wrote, Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. And my guilt is gone. Look, this isn't rocket science, church. You have, I can almost guarantee you, in some point in your life, you have done someone else wrong. And you knew in your heart, you needed to apologize. I, I, I could honestly say, I think all of you have done this. If you haven't, Wow. But I'm pretty sure all of us have wronged somebody. Even if it was unintentionally, we've done it. And we knew in our heart, this isn't going to be right until I apologize. We do this all the time with God the Father. And that feeling of conviction is good if used properly. Confession then leads us to this place where we feel the weight lifted. Now, this is kind of unpopular. I get it. I got a lot of people in the room of many different walks of life. You know, I'm praising God lately that there is such a variety of age in this room. I don't know how it's happening. I'm super confused by it. I'm 37 years old. Some of you are sitting in here, you've you've lived so you've lived life and I've I'm just getting started in a way. And yet here you are, and then I've got people younger than me there's I think it's a beautiful heavenly kind of thing that's occurring here. But I'm recognizing something that we're all coming perhaps from very different mindsets, very different worldviews. Things have greatly shifted just in the last five years. And so this idea of a biblical worldview is greatly diminished. There's not many from my generation, and certainly ones to follow me, that would, would say they truly have a biblical worldview. Oftentimes what you'll find nowadays is people will look through the lens of some piece, some aspect of culture, and they'll look at the Bible through that lens. And they'll begin to dis- dissect it and say, well, these parts, they must not be timeless. These parts, they were just true in the first century, but they can't certainly not be true now because of my, this is my lens. I made this decision a long time ago that this is my lens and I see the world through it. And I find that less and less people do that. I think the Christian, though, I would urge you, my friend, if in Christ Jesus, that this would be your lens to see the world through. Through, through God's eyes. And so I say that to say there's a lot of different ways that we try to counsel people. There's a lot of ways that you'll hear nowadays in in which to give people therapy. And I'm going to get into more of that in just a moment. But there's this sense that what do I do when I feel this distance from God? And would I ever question that our relationship is broken beyond our fellowship? And here's, here's something I read this week. I think it'll be helpful to you. It says... This, this was a, a blogger writing about how he, how he understood forgiveness and how he understood salvation. I just want to share it with you. He said, what happens after we sin or after receiving this perfect record? Because this is what Scripture talks about, that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. So now when God looks at us, similarly, he sees us through the lens of Jesus who was perfect. He sees us and sees Christ Jesus and our sin is removed. And our sin has been perfected in a way. Now, He's still making us holy in this side of heaven, but what do I do now when I when I mess up that perfect record? Because now when He sees Jesus, He sees a perfect record, and I'm, I go out and I start taking L's. I start messing that up. What do I do? Well, imagine this. Imagine standing at a window on a cold winter day. I think you can do that. Although, does it ever get cold in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina? I'm not really sure that's true, but... On a cold winter day, the air is frigid, and the sun is shining through a window. I used to do this a lot as a kid, like that, the the sun be shining through those window panes. It's a little cold in the house, and you just kind of, you cuddle up in that one spot where that sun is just blaring through, and it feels crazy cool, right? My cat does this all the time. It's interesting, but he does it in the summer. Something wrong with his brain, but... It warms you. It's coming through there. But you can do this thing. You can go up and you can pull the drapes and it doesn't take any time before you're feeling kind of cold again, kind of frigid again. The question is, now that I've pulled those drapes, now as the sun stop shining? Well, absolutely not. That's silly. The sun is still shining. I've just done this thing where I covered it up, right? And so now I feel cold. It's the same way with our fellowship. So I'm asking you, friends, do as I am charged to do here in the text, as we as a fellowship of believers, understand that I have pulled the drapes in some way. That God never stopped shining His good grace upon me, but I have done something. I've told myself some lie or believed something that wasn't true about me. Or I'm constantly doing something or being tempted by something. Perhaps I would I would wonder something, friends. Maybe you're putting yourself in some situations that are making life really hard. Maybe there's certain things you do. Here's one that I, I attempt to do less and less. I found that when... I stay up late at night. Everybody else has gone to bed. That's when I start thinking the craziest thoughts and start getting tempted by the craziest things. And so it is better for me, friends, to go to bed. My wife stays up late as it is. What am I still doing up? That woman's up until 11.30 midnight most nights. And y'all are thinking, that's pretty late. Some of you are like, that ain't nothing, man. I'll be up till 1, 2 a.m. and I got to get up at 6 or 7. What am I doing? And that's when I'm tempted to do evil. Or think evil. And so, let's maybe not put myself in that situation. Maybe go to bed. It's better for me anyway. Some of you are doing things more rash. You struggle with alcoholism, but you keep going to those parties. Well, buddy, maybe don't. Maybe don't go. You can hang out with those friends somewhere else. If they really love you, man, they won't, they won't bring you into such temptation. Think about where you're most hindered and maybe avoid it. That's why the Bible often says flee from these things. It says flee from sexual immorality. Resist these things. So that way I don't pull the drapes on a good God who's showing me all this grace. Here's the second. Understand certainly how sin has affected your fellowship. But here's the second step. Experience forgiveness from sin through confession. So it happens. Sometimes I pull the drapes. Sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes I break fellowship with a holy and heavenly God, and yet He has given me a way of restoration. This is amazing. He's done this between humans. We can experience this too in relationship. We don't have to live in broken fellowship. You all understand this, right? You you don't have to be mad at that person that's sitting a a few seats down from you if you are right. You guys can restore fellowship by the Holy Spirit. You can do it. But even better than that... You don't have to stay in this position of guilt or shame or whatever it is you're experiencing that makes you feel distant from a holy God. No, he says in verse 9, one of the greatest things in Scripture, I think, in verse 9, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. That a holy God would respond to our act of confession like that. I'm having a hard time getting tired of that. I'm having a hard time. I talked about this last week. I wish more and more I would think about how awesome it is that I get to go in the Holy of Holies. That I get to peer behind the curtain and be at the feet of, of God Himself. That He's given me that kind of access. Shame on us forever being tired of that. But this other thing where I mess up and I do sometimes. And the Bible teaches here that it doesn't have to be so. But when it does happen, that my act of confession would so restore me is baffling. And that God isn't like a human. Yeah, we're made in the image of God, sure, but He's not like me. You know what? I have this problem. I can forgive you, but I have a real hard time letting it go. I'll say, okay, you know, I understand, you know, you messed up. I forgive you that. But in my heart, am I really going to trust you to do that again? This This is what causes such strain and Relationships and and marriages, and if there's infidelity or something like that, we've you can see restoration, you can see forgiveness, but it takes a long time to get the trust back. Do I really know where he is? Do I really know where she's going tonight? Do I really know what those texts are? You know, there's fears and stuff, and there's so many aspects of life like that, where yeah, we forgive, but do we? Do we still trust that person? Do we, really give them, do we really bring them back in the circle? And yet, that's not God. He forgives and restores. The prodigal son story is, is a whole lot about God. He comes back saying, just let me be a servant. And he says, no, put a cloak on him. Put his ring back on. Welcome home, son. Go back to doing son stuff. And he says the same thing to me and you. No matter how deep and dark we may feel, we've gone. We come back and says, no, my friend, you're a daughter, you're a son. Start acting like it again. Start acting like you're one of the princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. You don't have to stay there anymore. That is a kind of forgiveness that is often not seen on this side of heaven. But in Christ Jesus, it is so. And I pray you don't forget it. And I pray you don't overlook it. You don't have to stay. It's so crazy that we stay in this state of where is God? Why do I feel distant? Why why does my life feel so heavy? And yet confession isn't number one. I don't know what happens to us, but it happens to most of us where we don't come to the Father at His feet saying, look what I've done. Free me of this guilt that is unnecessary. Confession, in fact, reopens that curtain. Reopens those drapes. Look at Proverbs 28. It says, People who conceal their sins, pull the drapes, will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. There's a promise here that concealing that and staying in that is not a way to prosper. Confession reestablishes that kind of communication too. Sometimes you may feel, friend, like you can't hear from God in His Word like you can't hear from him in prayer. And it may be, as I've heard many pastors say over the years, that there's sin in your camp. They get that from a story back in the Old Testament when somebody stole something, when they were supposed to be taking a city and they were supposed to just demolish it and not take anything. That was what God had instructed them to do. And I think it was Achan. Achan was the one who took the the thing and then they started losing battles. And that's where that old saying comes from. You've got sin in your camp. That's because he had taken things God had told him not to do. And it caused the people to no longer be following after God's will. And so he no longer was blessing their, their walk. And in a similar way, this happens to us as believers in that. We feel that distance and all that, but it's because there's sin in our camp. And if we would lift that up, all of a sudden, the Word becomes alive again and the prayer, I start hearing again. But there's something. <laughs> the Father's like, and? Mm-hmm. And? Okay, there it is. Whew. All right, let's get past that now. Let's go back into restored relationship. Now, modern therapy things, and I did some research this week. Y'all probably think I'm weird, but I am constantly trying to grow like as a counselor too. I I would say it's not necessarily my strength. Um, I, I prefer studying the Word and preaching the Word. These are things I truly, truly enjoy. Counseling, I will say, often... It feels defeating because a lot of times people have a long ways to go before they're really right with God or right with others. And it, it may take months, years before you really see victory in their life. And it's really hard work and God bless you if this is kind of the work you do all the time but and I do it quite often but I'm trying to grow in this field a lot and so there are there are therapies and there are different methods out there that are helpful even if they're not necessarily biblical they can still be a great help and that's kind of the way my 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 approach to counseling is bible and let that inform these other methodologies and if they fit they might be useful that's kind of my method and there's a lot of methods out there but I've found that there's Some therapies out there lately that I I think in the end can't fix it. And the reason they can't fix it is because this thing called guilt and shame that often we experience because of wrongdoing or because of wrong lifestyle or the way we think isn't quite right. There's these kinds of therapies out there that are trying to help you convince you that you shouldn't feel guilty. That you shouldn't feel this, this feeling of shame and guilt you have let me help you to remove that. And it's kind of like, I just did this the other day, shoveling, and it, it hurts a little bit. It's kind of like looking at that blister there and going, well, you know, that's not really so bad. That's not really so much of a problem. And you can keep on shoveling in a, in a, in a wrong way. Like as soon as I showed some of you this morning, you were like, why didn't you wear gloves? Because well, I'm an idiot. Can... <laughs> Duh. Duh. Um, no it's because i, I don't like it's, i'm not as dexterous i don't like the dexterity of gloves whatever and then i ended up with this but you know what will happen to me if i keep living this way and keep shoveling this way i'm just going to get these blisters over and over and over again and and i can look at this and say well okay i don't really have these blisters i'm okay i'm going to be all right and then i go out and i shovel this way again tomorrow and make it way worse Here's an unpopular thing. Y'all are going to love this. I can't wait. Maybe we feel guilty because we're guilty. Maybe, maybe I'm actually made in the image of God and He made me well. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and those feelings I have are from Him. He made me with a, a good brain. He made you and I with a good, a good body, a good brain. That reacts to things that knows, okay, you screwed up. Let's go ahead and put a, a layer of this weird water thing swelled up right there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh my God. But that's my body, fearfully and wonderfully made, starting to try to heal itself and protect <laughs> itself. It put this bubble out. It's like, stop touching this. That's what my body was telling me. And maybe the fact that I feel distant to God, maybe the fact that I feel like something's not right with me is because something's not right with me. And the best thing, a a person who really loves me will say, Hey, Jonathan, something's not right with you. But I have great news. Christ loves you and has forgiven you of those things. Because you know what I also read as I did this study is that pent-up guilt is one of the major, one of the probably number one cause of clinical depression. People have a strong sense of guilt and these therapies aren't really working. Why? Because there's actually a problem and Christ can solve it, but we don't go there. Instead, denial is an option. In fact, it makes it worse. Friends, I want to share a couple of things with you today, a couple of things to consider. That there are two sources of guilt. And guilt is a word we often try to run from as Christians and we try to move away from. But but guilt in the sense of Holy Spirit conviction is good. It restores your fellowship with a holy God. So don't look at it as necessarily bad, but it could be. So here's a couple of things I want you to know. When God convicts, when you feel a sense of conviction, here's a few things you'll know are true. When God convicts you, He's specific about the sin. You'll know, He'll point right at it, for me, I don't know what he does for you. For me, he digs his finger in it. He says, you feel that? That's what it is. Let's talk about it. And I got to do my part and talk about it. Confession is what that is. He's specific. When God convicts me of sin, I know this. He's already forgiven me of it. So he's specific about it, but I know he's already forgiven me of it. And I also know when God convicts me of sin, he will immediately restore my fellowship. And I also know that the feelings of guilt I've been feeling will immediately be relieved. They'll be lifted. So what do I do? What's my response when God convicts? Confess and be restored. Confess and be restored. Thank God for having forgiven you. Trust Him. Some of these things you have as an ongoing battle. These are temptations perhaps. Things that you struggle with a long time. Continue to trust Him all the more. He has the power to overcome them, no doubt. It's small matters to him that he would give you that type of power and encouragement. There's also, though, there are false feelings of guilt, friends. If I'm having false feelings of guilt, this is probably true. My feelings of guilt are vague and unspecific. I think I know when this happens. This happens when you've already confessed this thing, but you still feel shame you still feel guilty? Maybe maybe I'll give an example and this isn't specific to anybody but like maybe you've been through a divorce in your past. And we talk about messages in here all the time about you know Malachi talks about how God hates divorce and and there's there's scriptures about how to restore marriage and so we get into those things sometimes and maybe you feel that sense of guilt even though you've already been forgiven of it. Those aren't convictions of God, but perhaps your own brokenness or perhaps the evil one trying to... What, what can I do to kind of put this guy over here? What can I do to kind of separate this person over here so that way they feel so downtrodden and beaten down by their guilt that they, couldn't, they can't experience restoration? Those feelings of guilt that are vague and unspecific, that's not how God works. He's very specific. And... Feeling guilty over a sin I've already confessed, as I mentioned. So what do you do? What, how do you respond to that? Well, remember God's already forgiven you, my friend, and ask Him to remove that false. That, that's a false guilt. Ask Him to restore you from that, God. This can't be you. This, this, I've, already, I've already apologized for this. I don't think this is you. And you'll find out. He's like, no, that ain't me. Get back in here. Come back to the table. Here's some ways to help that. Keep shorter accounts. This I don't know if you're doing this, but you're like, okay, I'm going to like Monday through Friday. I'm just going to kind of, okay, I screwed up there. I told a lie there. I road raged again, God. Like I flicked off some people in my car. I, I had some problems. I, I cussed out my boss. I, I, I cussed out my kids. I did, I did this this week. I mean, I don't know. You fill in your blanks and you are just like kind of keeping a mental note. Friday's confession day. All right. Friday. Guess what happens on Friday? You just don't remember all that stuff. And then guess what you get to do all week? You feel broken and far from God. I'm trying to get better at this, friends, but I, I, just, try to, I just try to confess immediately. And He convicts me quickly. I, I don't know if this is true like the longer you walk with Jesus, but it's not long. It's moments after I'll say or do something that I know is not His will for me. And I'll go, yeah, God, I hear you. I hear you on that. I'm sorry I did that. That was that was that was foolish. Keep keep short accounts. Don't let unconfessed, unconfessed sin linger and linger and linger. There's no reason for it. That's the wonder of this prayer. This that's the wonder of being able to go into the holy of holies at any moment. Like, this is wild. All right, I'm way excited, y'all. I got a whole point to cover in like five minutes. All right, here we go. Because I love you so much, I want to get you out of here so you can actually eat lunch. I hear your bellies from here. I can hear them. Here's the third step. Live in victory over sin, relying on our advocate. Live in victory over sin, relying on our advocate. This is where he goes in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I want you to see very clearly something. that a Shame on me if I've ever done this as a preacher, but I think there are times where we make you feel like there's no way you're not going to sin. And I don't want to give you that at all. Now, here's what John has just said. He says, don't lie to yourself and deceive yourself and say you don't sin or have not ever sinned. Those are lies and deceits. However, he goes on in chapter 2 verse 1 to say, if anyone does. Not when, but if. That means there's nothing to say you can't walk with Christ and be apart from sin. There will be temptations, most likely You're going to have failings, but it doesn't have to be that way. So I don't want to pose something that you can be perfected. There's a whole theology I could get into about perfectibility. We ain't got time for that. If you want to know more, I love talking about stuff like that. I don't believe in perfectibility on this side of heaven. However, I do believe we don't have to sin. And we can give these temptations and struggles to God. I think what he's pointing to here is actually a huge help. This is the reason he ends verse 1 by saying, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. That means we're not walking alone. This word advocate is parakletos. It's the word we see in, in the New Testament normally describing the Holy Spirit of God. Here he says that Christ is also that advocate, the righteous. This is the idea of to come alongside to comfort, to walk with. Para means alongside. Kletos means help or comfort. He comes alongside. That means I'm not walking this thing out by myself. That means I'm not doing this life alone. And so when I face the temptation, He is with me. And I don't have to feel lost and hopeless in it. I think that's why John goes there and then he reminds us of something so important and uses one of those six million dollar words. Did y'all catch that in verse two? Propitiation. Wow. Some of your versions, if you have the NLT, I don't know if it ran from the word. You know, Some of the more paraphrased kind of versions of the text, well, that's a big boy. Propitiation. Well, I don't want to just go right past it. That word is the idea of being appeased. That's the idea. This word means that there is wrath. This is an unpopular view again, but that God is just and that we are not. And so his wrath is upon mankind justfully. And yet the propitiation is the idea that that wrath has been appeased. He has washed it away. That the blood of Christ, the cross itself, is payment. It's an appeasement. That's what that word means. Pop up this image for me. This is what it means. This is what he's saying. And I know that's rather small, but in the middle there where the cross is, you'll see the words point of salvation. What Jesus has done is create a new timeline in your life. When you came to a point of salvation, He didn't just forgive your sins from the past. He has forgiven your sins. Past, present, future. Now Paul will argue later, and this is in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He'll say, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Why? Because we're changed. We have the Advocate Christ Jesus now with us. The conviction of the Holy Spirit now in us. We can walk in newness of life. It's comforting and it's also encouraging. We can live in victory. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, but thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this be an encouragement to you today, friends. I don't know. I have things that I've struggled with a long time and I bet you do too. Just areas of my life that I've had harder and harder time really laying at God's feet. I don't know why something about my nature and and you're not like me in these things. Maybe you struggle in, in some completely different area that I have no temptation in. And yet, this is such a good reminder today that in Christ Jesus, He's already won. He's already won. If I'm feeling defeated, that's not God. He has victory over my sin area and so does He have over yours. So the question is, am I really walking with Him in life? Am I making sure I'm starting my day? Am I making sure I'm in prayer? Am I making sure I'm really trying to live a life Walking in newness of life with Christ Jesus. Because when he's walking beside me, he sees that temptation and goes, Pfft. no problem, son. Like, I've paid for that. I, I, my power is well beyond that. When I'm really walking with him, I look at things differently. I look at him as he looks at him and go, what's my deal? Why does that even? bother me? And I just move on. But other days where I'm not walking in newness of life, that thing will eat me alive. And you got the same. We were in this struggle together. I'm asking you, friends, as John says, are you walking in this newness of life with the Advocate who is Christ Jesus? That's the difference. Let me end with this story. And it's a throwback. It goes back to Genesis chapter 4. The very first major sin of the text, I mean, the the first one there is with Adam and Eve, but then the very next one is murder. And uh, it doesn't get much worse than that. And... It's all over something that seems rather petty in the text. Genesis chapter 4, we see Abel bringing a sacrifice before God and God accepts it and says it's good. And the reason is because Abel brought his best. God longs for our best. He wants, he wants our, our 100%, not 50%. It's what God's designed us for and He expects that. He wants that. And Cain brings what it seems to be kind of his leftovers, something that's not his best, not, his, not the best stuff, not the 100%. And God doesn't accept it. Now, you might think that God would have every right, and I would say he absolutely would, to say, you know what, Cain, you screwed up big time, and don't be bringing me stuff like that anymore. All right, But no, he doesn't say that. He says this, look at verse 6. The Lord, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must submit it, sub- subdue it, and be its master. His sin problem began with this really small kind of thing, but it was worse. The sin problem was way deeper, and that's often what we wrestle with, is that sin is crouching at the door. And the question is, Will we come with this ease, this ease that He gives us in Christ Jesus that if you'll come with confession, won't you be accepted? Won't you, if you bring me, you, all of you, won't you be accepted? Absolutely. Friends, you can experience God's fellowship. It doesn't have to remain broken. You don't have to be separated from Him. It's unnecessary. You're doing it on your own. And it doesn't have to be that way. He has paid the price. He has come the distance. And I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit, do you understand just how sin has separated you? You can experience forgiveness and confession. And you can live out victory over your sin in Christ Jesus. I hope you feel encouraged and challenged today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Can you do the work right now that only you can do and help and stir our hearts in the right direction? For me, when I read this message, it does something particular. It makes me have a sense uh, of, of, of repentance. It makes me, it reminds me that, okay, there's some things that perhaps I'm sweeping under the rug. There's some things in my life perhaps that I'm not taking seriously, like you take them seriously, and it's caused a strain in our fellowship at times, and Lord, I'm recognizing those things now. That's, that's what the Scripture is doing in my heart, but I'm prayerful today that you are moving it and stirring it in a way that you desire for each and every one of us in this room. I recognize perhaps you've come today, my friend, and you've heard this message, and maybe you feel a sense that God is bringing you to Himself. That this idea of forgiveness and fellowship and being part of the family of God sounds incredible. And you know in your heart in this moment, you've not made a confession first of faith and certainly not a confession of your ongoing brokenness. And these are things you can take care of right now. That there's nothing hindering your point of faith. This moment where you finally break the tension with a heavenly God, a holy Father, you can break that tension right now. If you feel the Lord pulling you towards Himself, I would ask you, my friend, would you pray with me? A simple prayer of confession. It says in the book of Romans chapter 10 that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. I'm prayerful today, friend, that you've come in here and you're, you're, you're ready to say that. You're ready to start a new journey with a heavenly God who is ready to set your life on a, on a better course, on the course He's designed you for. If that's you, pray with me these words. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of my life. What that means to me say you're in charge. You are King. And I'm putting you on the throne today. I've been running the show, Lord. I've been doing things my way and I recognize something's not right. There is something missing. I keep going the wrong way. I keep struggling with the same kinds of things. God, would you restore me now? I believe this morning that Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin, my guilt, my shame. I now lay at your feet there. And God, I believe that You raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I believe in the cross and the resurrection, and that gives me hope today and renewed life. So God, now I'm asking, would You guide my steps? Set me on the course You desire for me. And help me to experience this ongoing restoration that the things I've fought, the battles I've lost, Lord, You would begin to mend those things. Dear friend, if you just prayed that with me, welcome to the family of God. I know this confidently. You are accepted. That verse says, He paid for the sins of the whole world. He's paid for yours. And your faith has made you new. Your faith has given you new life in Christ Jesus. And we're praying right along with you those same words. God, would you restore us in our brokenness? Friend, this morning whoever you are, whatever you're thinking right now, if, if something is coming to your mind right now, something you've been tempted by, something you've been wrestling with, lay that at the feet of Jesus right now. Knowing that God restores immediately and the guilt is lifted. Lay it at the feet of Christ today and come back into right fellowship with Him. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this outstanding payment and this outrageous forgiveness that you give us again and again and again. Thank you for who you are to us. And Lord, help us to just live this life for you in everything we do. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.